0: Well, thank you very much, Roger, for that uh, in, uh, in introduction, which was, of course, charming and agreeable, but slightly intimidating, because my memory of our conversation about tonight's talk was quite different. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you'd said to me, well, you can't talk about conservatism, of course, because you're talking about tomorrow. Why don't you just talk about, well, I don't know, anything you feel like? And, and I'd said, uh, so I was going to follow the old tradition of, um, you know, the hallow tradition and talk about my vacation. Uh, LAUGHTER And in fact, I did have quite an interesting vacation (laughs) because I went to Turkey. And and I could, you if necessary, bore you for several hours about the case for and against accepting the present government there as a reasonably decent one and so on and so forth. But uh, too many people have done that. And anyway, the answers are speculative. So I shall, in fact, be talking to some extent about conservatism. But I'm going to enter it from a slightly unusual direction and I hope end in a slightly unusual way, too. And that is... By discussing the fact, my, my recent visit, uh, discussing has been the light of my recent visit to Poland, and that wasn't a vacation, although it was at least as enjoyable as most vacations, it, it was in fact I was there to sell my book, uh, which is Pope President, <laughs> <the Prime Minister. laughs> um And and of course, um, if you go to Poland now, as a um, uh, t- to talk about the co- end of the Cold War, even if you're not talking about the Pope. And if you are talking about the Pope, they are, of course, absolutely fascinated and tremendously proud, because it is not often, well, actually, it is too often, in a sense, that Poland has played a major role in world events. But it is not often it's played a major role in the happy solution to world events. And the the Poles are tremendously proud of the part that John Paul II played in in, um, the end of communism. They're also tremendously proud of the part that Lech Wałęsa played in the end of, of, in the end of communism. I, in, in general, if, you're, if I talk about my book, uh, I d- get a question from any audience which says, uh, you've got these three people here, Reagan, Thatcher, and the Pope. I dare say they were quite important, but wasn't there a fourth person who was even more important? Um, and the person you know, outside Poland goes on to cite Mikhail Gorbachev. But in Poland, they ask you exactly the same question, except it's Lech Wałęska, whom they go on to, su- to suggest is, the most Im- is another very important person. And my view of that is very simple. It is that Wałęska was an extremely important person in the end of communism. But he was a very important person who's, who um, was not in the same position of influence as a pope or a president or a prime minister. So although he had, for, in a sense, an, an unusually extended period, tremendous influence on the course of events by, first of all, invading, climbing over the wall into the Lenin shipyard, and then, um, when he'd done that, leading the first successful independent fight to establish an independent trade union in, um, in uh, a communist country, and then surviving the imposition uh, of martial law, the first time that communist repression had plainly failed to subdue its targets. He did all of these things and is therefore an extremely important person in the end of the Cold War. Now, the end of the Cold War is a conservative achievement, of course, in my view. I mean, I'm not suggesting that the liberals did not play a part in it. They did, though I think their major beneficial part was played at an earlier stage, from the late 40s till, say, the early 70s. Once 68 and the Vietnam War intervened, liberals shuffle to the edge of the conflict and become, some of them, observers, some of them sympathetic to the wrong side, and some of them lonely adventurers uh, of an ex-liberal kind who we now call neoconservatives. But there is no doubt that in the great achievement of ending the Cold War, uh, that it was conservatives, in my view, who took all of the, all of the hotly contested decisions it's easy to take decisions, which everyone agrees about, but the really hotly contested decisions were taken by conservatives. Now, when you go to Poland, what you discover is that the people in Poland are very well aware of this. A young man interviewed me and asked me a lot of questions which I, I – well, it wasn't so much the questions he asked. It was his appearance. In any country other than Poland, I would have put down him and most of the people who interviewed me, as some kind of dangerous radical. Uh, But in Poland, he's a dangerous radical of the right. He's somebody who admires John Paul II, somebody who admires Mrs. Thatcher, somebody who admires Ronald Reagan, someone who follows And the young people in Poland, and not just the young, but the young people in particular, they look at the Cold War as something which was won by the heroes in the West and and won by their heroes from Poland. Now, I was at the end of the, uh, this interview. This young man said to me, um, why is it? It was an odd question for him to put to me. He said, why is it that there's a square named after Franklin Delano Roosevelt here in Warsaw, and there isn't one named after Ronald Reagan? I said, well, I, I'm afraid I don't know. Uh, and, uh, and he said, well, isn't that a disgrace? I said, well, um, um, what have you got against Roosevelt? And and of course, the answer, which I knew as soon as I, before he he answered, was Yalta. And um, Poles look at the history of the post-war world through a lens marked Yalta. And although they obviously would have preferred the British to have played a more successful role in 1939-40, there's not a lot of resentment over our failure to assist the Poles more practically because, obviously, it wasn't a very easy thing to do in anyway, They have to admit that they themselves did not do well against the Germans. But when they come to the late stages of the war, they look at Yalta, and they say to themselves, this is a moment in which Poland, for all her gallantry and decency, was betrayed. Now, that gallantry and decency um, are, it seems to me, um, uh, the... Plainly, something which we in the we in other countries in that alliance have never fully recognised. Um, certainly, I think it's we are more aware of it in England because we are aware of the people who came across and were part of the um, and were part of the um, the RAF uh, from from 1940 onwards, and particularly those pilots who flew in the RAF. To try to drop supplies to the embattled Warsaw Uprising in 1944, and that's an occasion. And I went round the, wa- the the new museum of the Warsaw Uprising. That's an occasion which is deeply burned, as is Katyn, into the Polish memory and imagination. Uh, it's it's deeply burned into mine, having been round the museum. There are many as, uh, as you probably know, for seven weeks, the Poles rose up because the Red Army was on the edges of Warsaw. They rose up, and they, uh, at that point, they, um, uh, uh, they were expecting the Russians to, to come in. They rose up, they seized the city. For four or five days, it looked as though they were winning, and the Russians, on Stalin's orders, just remained on the edges of Warsaw. And as a result, uh, the city fell after seven gallant weeks. If you go to the museum, you actually sit in a little cinema. There was a cinema called the Palladium in Warsaw, and you sit in the mock-up of that cinema and you watch the newsreels that the people made at that time. It's extremely moving, and 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 you realise that the, for the Poles, uh, the, the, the 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 murder of the officers at Katyn, and the suppression of the Warsaw uprising, uh, are extraordinarily important moments in in them in their imagination. And the third of those moments is Yalta. Because at Yalta, they feel that they were let down, and they were. Even worse, though, than that, I think, because there was little, there was little ability to do anything about their being let down, was the fact that they were, uh, we lied about their being let down. Uh, there were debates in which courageous members of Parliament and courageous members of Congress actually told the truth about Yalta at the time. The future Prime Minister, Alec douglas Hume, was one of the MPs who voted against it. Those things are, are deeper remembered in Poland, and so Poland felt itself to have been a peculiar victim of betrayal, and a peculiar victim of oppression. So when the Pope came along, as he did, um, it, it was an extremely important moment. And when he found allies in the United States, in Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan, and in Britain, Margaret Thatcher, that too was an important moment. Those, those were important moments. That they remember that they. they now see the war, the end of the Cold War as, so to speak, a joint Polish-Anglo-American operation that, to some extent, wipes out the stain of Yalta and the failure to help the Poles in later years. Now, we don't see it, obviously, in exactly that way. But I think we have to learn to see, uh, see it in this way, to some extent, because the kind of war we are waging at the moment, and conservatism now finds itself fighting a different battle We've got to we've got to realise that as we that just as the polls um, were for, um, that just as the polls were so to speak abandoned for some time uh, that because we didn't understand the nature of the conflict so um, we don't understand the nature of the conflict today. If if I were to say our biggest problem, and I certainly have to acknowledge. That I'm saying this as a result of reading papers by people at the conference tomorrow, like Andy McCarthy's. If I have to acknowledge the biggest problem facing conservatism today, and facing America today, and facing Britain today, it is the fact that uh, the leaders of our society have no idea of the nature of the struggle that they're engaged in. They are far too inclined to think it's something that they don't have to worry too much about. The polls could never feel that because of Katyn. I should add, by the way, that, that, there is, um, that there is a new film being just released in Poland by the distinguished film director, Andrzej Wider, about Katyn, which, although it was opening after I left, uh, there were a number of um, reviews saying, saying exactly that uh, it th- there no, no film could be made again about this because this was the film that told all of the truth and in the most brilliant possible way. Now, um, what does conservatism mean? If conservatism means anything, I think, in our current circumstances. Obviously, it means different things in different circumstances. It means the defense of the West and its values. And the West and its values, um, we, we defended the West better than we defended its values during the Cold War. Um, although we actually won the Cold War in the end, it was an extremely depressing victory. Uh, there was no celebration, there was no sense of victory, there was in fact kind of a diplomatic decision not to acknowledge that it was a victory because that might offend uh, the, Soviet U- the former Soviet Union and damage future relations. But this has left I think not so much in Poland where, I, where the role of the Pope means that the people have a very clear sense that there was a victory and there was a defeat for the other side. But certainly in countries like Hungary and elsewhere, there is a feeling that somehow the entire operation um, was le- had less meaning than it ought to have done. And again, I'm, I'm, talking under the, I'm talking under the influence of my recent visit here, but there is an election at the moment in Poland, and there is a sense in that election that there is a subterranean issue in uh taking place within uh the 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 central and eastern europe the subterranean issue is this that the same people who govern them under the communists uh, continue to govern them today they certainly do for example in hungary those people do so sometimes so to speak um legitimately because um, communist party turned social democrats have been elected to govern them sometimes they govern them um, illegitimately as for example there is a sense that there is a shadowy network of um, kleptocrats who privatized industries corruptly and got control (coughs) of them who maintain links with uh, the, uh, the the former Polish communist intelligence services which themselves retain links with the FSB which is the successor of the KGB there is a sense that in all of these countries that the government isn't quite as free and democratic as independent as we might wish. And that is a big issue in the Polish election, if you're following it today, because that election is one in which the present government, with all its faults and it has serious faults, is actually attempting to extirpate what's known as the network, the network of of, of former communists who still maintain important positions and whom they think distort uh, distort politics uh, on the question of, um, of uh, on, on energy, particularly, but on other things. So when you come to Poland, you come to a country in which you come to a country which had great grievances, which regarded itself as having achieved a, a great uh, step forward in um, in, in uh, helping to end the Cold War, being one of the primary agents in winning the Cold War and yet feel somehow that the cold war is not yet entirely won and that should give those of us in the west cons- mainly conservatives some pause there is a lot of unfinished business in europe today and we should one of the things we should do is attempt to finish it and conservatism has got to be clear about this we face the challenge we face the challenge of islamic radicalism that's a new challenge we face the challenge of a, of a what I would describe as a, a new establishment, which is perhaps in America and elsewhere the first dissident ruling class in history, the first ruling class which doesn't really like its own society, the first a ruling class which at the end of the Cold War wasn't exactly in power; it was sort of out of power at the time, and therefore didn't really want, didn't really want the Cold War to end as it did. And finally, you have the detritus of the. Cold War, still left in power to some extent in Eastern Europe. Now, oddly enough, that is a great opportunity for us because in Eastern Europe, there is a sense of greater realism about history than you find in Western Europe, where Western European conservatives have in the main decided that they still will remain on a holiday from history. But in Eastern Europe, they are so aware that, the com- that there is a threat from Russia. They are so aware that their own societies have not entirely escaped from the octopus. They are so aware that, that, um, that, that the West, uh, that they need America, not Europe. They need America in order to be a guarantor of their future freedom. So the itinerary of, uh, of conservatism, to, to, uh, to quote uh, Roger, has not yet reached its destination. And that brings me to my final point. I uh, I hope I'm not... uh, That That brings me to my final point. Itinerary, destination. Um, When I was in Rocklaw, I had dinner with a lawyer who, it turns out, was also uh, a passionate uh, uh, supporter of the theatre. I love the theatre, so whenever I'm in Eastern Europe, I always ask uh, about the theatrical tradition and the dramatic tradition. A few years ago, I was in um, Lithuania, and I discovered, what I hadn't known before, that there had been an extremely vigorous avant-garde theater before the Second World War there. And the same, it turns out, has been true of Poland uh, and, and, of, um, and of Eastern Germany, which is where Rocklaw was at the time. Well, um, there is a theater actually in the railway station at Rocklaw. I mean, it's physically in the station. And so the people who were running the theatre decided that they would do something rather interesting. They decided that they would stage a play which began in the station, took the audience on the train, took them to another destination, brought them back, and then put them there again. Well, the play that emerged from this is a very, very powerful play about the concerns that we all have here. It begins with a train... The, the train journeys actually took place. It begins with a train journey taking Polish refuge, taking, um, um, t- taking Holocaust victims uh, from that station uh, elsewhere. It, there's another journey back, which brings, which brings the, the new communist rulers of Poland back to that station. And then, because Rocklaw was the place in which the communists held Uh, A cultural conference in the early 50s, there is a debate between two people attending this cultural conference. And the cultural conference and the debate is between a group of um, uh, uh, um, Polish liberals who find themselves living desperately under a, a communist oppressive regime. And they are talking to an English friend and they say to him, you have no idea what's going on here. You think that this is a cultural conference, but only half a mile away, there are young men from the Polish Home Army who are being systematically tortured. And so he says, well, this is monstrous. We must do something about it. They say, no, please don't. Because if you do... We will lose our only contact we now have with civilized people in the West. You won't be able to write to us. Your letters won't arrive. We'll, you won't be able to send us books. The books won't arrive. Um, it w- we may even ourselves find our, we may even find ourselves taken away. Now, um, this struck me as a play which it would be well worth um, putting on at the National Theatre in London or at a, a theater in New York. Obviously, you couldn't quite do it in Grand Central Station, but nonetheless, the, the play could be done. And that brought up another idea, which it turns out, which, uh, and, uh, which uh, I had been discussing with friends, including in the past Roger, some time ago. And that is this. Some of the most important political messages in recent years have been conveyed in the theater, Uh, Tom Stoppard is just demonstrating the fact at the moment. He's telling the truth about both 19th century Russian revolution, and he's also telling the truth about the people who collaborated willingly with communism in the West in the play Rock and Roll. But we don't have to always go to the theater for political instruction. Indeed, I think most people here would think we should very rarely do go to the theater for that reason. But nonetheless, we are linked. Or could be linked better with countries like Poland and the Czech Republic and Slovakia, and indeed countries like Italy, Spain, and France. If we had, if we saw more of their plays, and we, they saw more of ours. So what I propose is the following idea. And Roger, let me relieve any anxiety you may have about thinking I'm going in for a fundraising pitch here, because what yeah. I am proposing, yeah. Yeah. what I am proposing is a raid certainly a raid, but it is a raid on the public treasury, and better, it is a raid on the public treasury of the European Union. (laughs) Uh, And what it seems to me is that we should try to do is this. We should, first of all, establish the idea that we should recall that a great many excellent plays, plays which are excellent from an artistic or from a market standpoint, plays which have been hits, never get performed in other languages. I mean, Howard wrote, uh, let's let's take popular playwrights, Howard wrote 50 plays. How many of those plays have been translated into French and German? I should think about five or six. Pirandello wrote 50 plays. I think they've all been translated into English. But um, how many have been uh, performed? And how many could be performed, given that the translations are now out of date and and would seem odd on the stage? Um, So why not go? to the organizations which give money to the most ridiculous uh, purposes posing as art and say to them cynically, we can save you from people like Jesse Helms. If you want to continue giving money for these purposes, then we are going to give you other purposes which will quieten these conservative critics. We are going to suggest that you give money to translate, to have plays of proven worth translated and adapted. Having done that, we then go to the stopards of this world, to the Robert Rietis and to others, and we say, we have the money to enable you to adapt and translate some plays. And those plays will be plays which we know already have won an audience. And having done that since a play is not a play until it's been performed. It's only a, it's a document until then. We go to thea- theater festivals in particular and say, we can give you the opportunity of staging the world premiere in English of a play which packed the houses in Paris or Rome or Bratislava or Poznan or Rocklaw um, um, for for two years. And having uh, having got the money and having hired the talent and having procured the venue, what you now have is the ability of the theater to tell the truth um, um, to tell, not just the truth, but to, to, uh, to, to take plays which are part of the Western tradition but which most Westerners have never heard and spread the knowledge and love of theater. Now, as my argument suggests, some of the these plays will be pure lighthearted entertainment and none the worse for that. Frankly, I would rather see a play by Noel Coward uh, than one by Pirandello, although I like both. But having said that, there are many plays which tell the truth about our century, about the way in which um, lies and oppression and terror were camouflaged as peace, love, and justice. And those plays need to be performed, perhaps beginning with the play which is called Bratislava Train Prisoners, uh, that is now shown to great acclaim in Polish in rock law. that's just a very modest proposal and may get nowhere. But but the fact is that uh, and it may not seem at first first sight to have much with the itinerary of conservatism. But uh, if I understand conservatism aright, it seems to me that conservatism is the doctrine of telling the truth. Telling the truth about situations that politicians want to lie about. Being realistic about them being skeptical about big ideas, bringing them down to earth and making them live. And if, if I'm right about that, then the, um, what we need to do is to ensure that our ideas are not simply presented in party political manifestos and political speeches, but in plays, novels, poems, and documentaries. And in, in the, doc in, and, and in the um, magazines and journals, that practice a form of criticism that makes these ideas, uh, that makes the criticism of the ideas live as well as the ideas should live. And that is what I imagine the new criterion to do. Uh, it certainly does it. I also take it to be. That's what it intends to do. It's its mission. But So I, I therefore want to suggest to the new criterion that um, I- I- as a result of, of my trip to Poland, that we really need We really need to establish some kind of fund that will enable the experiences of people like ourselves in unimaginably different situations in the last hundred years. How those stories, as well as other stories, can be told in a vivid and powerful way. Uh, And um, I commend the idea to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Um, that's a splendid idea. Um, and uh, not only will we take it under advisement, but uh, we'll do it if you agree to be in charge of it. Well, I'll certainly be involved in it. But <laughs> originally it was inspired by the idea of meeting actresses, but then I got married and that was <laughs> rather <right when I laughs> So Dostoevsky says that beauty is the battlefield where God and the devil war for the soul of man. That's <laughs> There may be some questions or comments uh, for for John. Public. Well, with the, exce- with the exception of the point about visas and the difficulty of getting into the United States, which is a deeply felt matter in Poland and something which we should do something about. I mean, at the moment, it's far, far harder for a Pole to get to the United States than it is from someone from Western Europe. And furthermore, uh, the rules are such that he may pay a c- quite considerable sum of money, uh, $100, to, to get an interview, and, and he loses that if he doesn't get in. And the Poles feel bitter about this, and I don't blame them because they were the people who bore the heat and burden of the day through the Cold War far more than we did, and they deserve, um, they deserve in, if anything, special treatment. In my feeling would be the countries of Eastern Europe should be treated better than the countries of Western Europe uh, if there's going to be any distinction at all. Now, that, that apart, um, let me say that, yes, I understand wha- what you're saying, but I don't believe that to be true um, for a number of reasons. A number of people have argued it, but I'd, I'm skeptical. I don't think it's true for the following reasons first of all the um, most European countries except for Britain and Ireland didn't admit the poles um, polish workers in um, when when they entered the European union and uh, and, and so the, the result is there are huge numbers <laughs> of poles uh, and others in, in London and elsewhere and um, and not in you know in berlin and well they're, uh, they're not legally in, in places like Berlin in fact there's a You've probably heard the stories of the Polish plumbers. I mean, the, the concept of the Polish plumber is a very lively one at the moment in Poland. So, so they, they, they're slightly annoyed at the way they've been treated in some respects. Secondly, uh, the, the reemergence, and I would say the visible reemergence of the threat from Russia, has been something that has made them think, uh, well, let's keep a hold of nurse for fear of finding something worse. And so they they're w- they want to keep America committed. And they know, for example, that America was involved and active in the um, – I- and much more uh, keen on um, preventing on, – on supporting the Orange Revolution in Ukraine. Um, they know that the Europeans have been a bit kind of, West Europeans have been somewhat feeble and have, to, have had to be forced into take action on, uh, to protest over such matters as the, uh, Euro- as the, uh, the, the, German, the Russo-German pipeline that, that doesn't go through Poland for obvious reasons. So I think that, th- that although there was initially the feeling that you suggest, and that feeling in a way is an odd one, that they, they so desperately wanted to be part of Europe which meant being part of the modern world, which meant being a normal country, which meant being part of European civilization, that they, to some extent, confused that with being members of the European Union. Um, some of their politicians were aware that there was a difference, like, for example, Matlar in, 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 um, in Estonia and, um, and Viktor Orbán in, in Hungary. But so powerful was the general sentiment that, that at the time that, they, that those politicians didn't really make that point. But now that they're actually in the European Union and therefore feeling sort of they don't have to worry anymore, they don't have to worry about offending people. Then there's no doubt that they, they are pressing strongly for a more pro-American set of attitudes in Europe, which is entirely a good thing from our standpoint. But but uh, but which uh, but w- but for the moment at least, what I feared, by the way, is your side, that I feared, namely that the, that being members of Europe, they gradually be corrupted by the kind of Brussels subsidy system into becoming social democratic anti-Americans. That, in my view, hasn't happened, but I wouldn't rule it out as a danger. Yes? First of all, I'd like to say that I recently visited a, a friend in Ohio who was raving about your book. Oh. And Well, yes. I mean, these things come up all the time, obviously, about the Iraq War. Well, as you know, the Poles have, in fact, played a fairly large part in the Iraq War, um, and uh, at one point they were in charge of an entire of, of a region, and uh, they were the country that was in charge of other, of other NATO powers. Um, like everyone else in Europe, they're slightly depressed by the out by the, the div- by the trend of events in Iraq. That, that's the problem. The problem is that if things are going badly, and 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 um, no one is saying they're going well. They may be we fighters. They know what Oh, yes, way. absolutely. That's right. Um, and, that's, and in a way, the same is true of the Canadians. You know, the Canadians are there as well. And they've turned out to be, uh, p- public opinion in both those countries has turned out to be relatively stable in support of the troops, but not enthusiastic. I mean, it's not something that, that you can whip up enthusiasm now in Western or Eastern Europe for and for obvious reasons the same is true for britain if things are going badly uh, the very and particularly well the, the, the british case is somewhat different there are other brits here who will talk about it i dare say but but um, but the element the argument that there was deception involved plays a big part in in british uh, d- in british fie- opinion about the war that isn't the case in poland for most other countries, so there is um, uh, th- there is um, a downgrading of the uh, of the enterprise. There is a kind of a feeling that it hasn't gone well, and it's no longer it's not a bull point. But on the other hand, the next big issue, which is missile defence, I think the Polish um, political class is proving to it will prove to be very robust on that. Now, whether or not you think it's a good idea or a bad one, I don't know. The, but the Russians certainly don't want missile. American missile defense is situated in the Czech Republic or Poland. That itself is a reason why the Poles want it there. And and the argument that you get against it, which you do from people whom w- we would feel very comfortable with, like Rodik Sikorsky, and he's not arguing against it, but he's saying that you know uh, if we're going to do this for you, then you have to do A, B, C, and D for us. And I think that that's, that's one of the things there is, is a visa policy, and another one is, in fact, providing the poles with anti um, uh, with defence uh, weapons, including anti-missile ones, uh, which defend them against the particular kind of missile attacks that they're likely to be faced with. And I would think that if if you were poles, uh, you'd be making the same kind of argument as well. So yes, uh, the, the, there are there are problems, obviously arising. From what seems to be an unsuccessful war, we don't. I'm not arguing it will prove to be that way, but that's the way it looks now in Europe, and we must not. We must expect that. But there isn't a mass cutting and running, and the, and in Eastern Europe, in my view, there is not, and Central Europe, there is not a rejection of the United States. On the contrary, uh, um, Putin has so arranged things as to ensure that the United States is probably valued more than it was two or three years ago. Yes. So Well, by the way, yeah, but well they, they, of course, follow things, uh, they, they follow our politics much more than we follow theirs. And so the, the, the they is a, is a rather, uh, you, ha- you have to analyze who you would mean by they, you know. The answer is that most people who would be supporters of, um, of America, and particularly of the American right, and I think that the, you know, the polls would generally break down as uh, uh, probably 60% of them would be instinctive Republicans, so to speak, uh, and uh, looking at this country. Because they, they um, except for, for Brzezinski, most of the people they liked have been Republicans recently. So you, they you start out being favorable. But no, they're not particularly favorable to Bush, I'm afraid. Uh, at least I didn't find so. But I did have the following experience. I was, uh, I an, uh, I was being interviewed. And at the end of it and this guy had turned up and he had every copy of national review for the last five years he underlined <laughs> everything <and> he was <laughs> incredibly well informed and he asked me um, um who's going to be the republican candidate and you know and uh, so i started th- when you're abroad what you tend to do is obviously you you try to give as fair and dispassionate account as you can so i started this long roundabout well Thompson stands for this and so on and so forth. And he suddenly he interrupted me and said, oh, This is all nonsense, he said. We've got to stop Hillary. <laughs> 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 that, that's the only thing that counts. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and plainly, that's Giuliani. So, so, you know, you've got to back him. <laughs> uh, OK. <laughs> So, um, so I mean, yeah. So I think that answers your question. Uh, they they're, they're on the right side. But look, I go back to what I said in answer to the lady's question. I, I th- at the moment, it, the the war looks like a failed war. Um, what you're going to get from from people over there who would be otherwise inclined to support it, is a kind of re- reluctant shrug. If you could produce a solid argument for saying you know, not going well, but we've got to do it for the following reasons, can uh, member did so in, in um, the, the Reform Club one day when she said, look, we have a plain interest in not allowing Iraq to become a failed state, a Lebanon that will be the basis for international terrorism. If you make that argument, people say, yes, that's right. But it's a taking on a burden mm-hmm. rather than celebrating an achievement. Thank you, John. Um, <laughs>